Hello. Welcome to the Benito Juarez Experience. This is Luciano Gonzalez. And Duen Navarro Rivera. And today we are going to be talking about the Paris Agreement, the Paris Accord, whatever it is that you would like to call it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about a few different aspects of it, most notably the countries that left it and what it means that Trump made us be one of the countries that's not engaged in it. So as America a little first. bit, America first, that's something that I'm also going to be talking about because it's silly. That's a very nice way for me to say that. As a little bit of an introduction to the Paris Accord, which is what it's most commonly known as, I wanted to remind everyone what it is. It is effectively a multinational voluntary agreement in which various countries, the overwhelming majority of the countries on the planet, decided to get together and sign something so that way the entire state of Florida doesn't just vanish underwater in the space of the next 50 years. Of course, it's a lot more serious than that, and we need to talk about this seriously, but frankly, it's difficult for people to stay serious about this because of how ridiculous the news has been. Just on this or in general? I was on vacation before this happened, by the way, so I didn't hear much <laughs> news. But are you talking about the ridiculousness of the last, I don't know, seven months or just this particular week? I mean, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult for us especially as people who've been writing about this sort of thing for years, not specifically about climate change, but both you and I are experienced political writers, you considerably more so than myself. But even before I moved to the United States, I was already writing about politics in Latin America. I'm used to the ridiculousness of political news, but even this caught me off guard, especially because of the rhetoric that Trump used to justify getting out of a voluntary agreement with no binding mechanisms. Yeah, I know. Anyway, I, I, I do appreciate that PLC uh, way you called me old. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think it's a very, it's a very interesting uh, concept because initially, you know, Trump has been promising this, that, you know, we were going to get out of Paris then all of a the sudden, they drop the ball like this, and, and then all of a sudden, it like, comes back up again. Uh, and interestingly, while I was on vacation, that was the only piece of news that I heard about. And the only reason that was the only piece of news that I heard about was that because in every Mexican registration, I was in Mexico, uh, they were talking about this, so I couldn't avoid it. Uh, and I, I think that's one aspect of what I want to talk uh, a little bit later, in, in a li doing a little bit of analysis of what this decision means and how can it be interpreted. But I'm going back to you. So can you explain to me and to our listeners what is the Paris Agreement, why it is non-binding, and why do we get out? So... There are lots of people who have been reporting that there are, I'm going to talk about this kind of in reverse order, I suppose. One of the first things that I want to mention is that there are actually three countries, aside from the United States, who are 
somewhat important political players. Syria is probably the most important global political player out of all the countries besides the United States that are not in the agreement. But the four countries in the world right now that are in some sense or another not in the Paris Agreement are the Holy See, as in Pope Francis's home base, Nicaragua, Syria. So they live in a hill. They don't care. Well, okay, so the thing that's weird about the Holy See is that they they apparently want to become, they at least as late as 2015, they've stated that they want to join the N, they want to join the UNFCCC in order to be able to sign the Paris Agreement. So they're, they're in it in spirit. Nicaragua's reason, and we're going to talk about this later on in more substantial detail because this is extremely important, is that the Paris Accords are not strong enough. And Syria is involved in a civil war, and that's the reason why they're not in it. But another thing that I feel the need to mention right now is that this is one of the only agreements in the world that North Korea signed. That's, that's something that people need to realize. When people say that the Paris Accords are non-controversial, they are so non-controversial that North Korea signed them. Wow, that's really sad. Because uh, that, you know, at least you could count on North Korea being the outlier of everything. Uh, so now we are. Uh, but <laughs> I want to go back for a second to the Vatican <laughs> because so the, the, a couple of things. One, it's I love the way in which you say that they're in there in spirit. I think it's a great phrasing. Uh, and second, I think one way they can reduce their emissions is by electing younger popes. Right? Because if they elect younger popes that help you know, take longer to die. They don't have to do the whole smoky thing uh, every few years or so. Uh, but that, that that's, that's a cheap joke. Uh, let's go back to let's go back to you. So, so some of the other things that people should know about the Paris Accords, the Paris Accord. I always add the S at the end, but that's my bad. If people think that I'm dumb because of that. Hopefully they won't. But people need to know about the Paris Accord is that it's entirely voluntary. And what this means is that there's no real punishments for countries that sign it and don't do anything relative to it, although most of the signatories have sort of at least tried to do something about it, although lots of the signatories from the onset were already kind of there. Because what, what the Paris Accord actually wants people to do is it wants people to cut down on carbon emissions. And the reason that that matters is that carbon emissions are some of just global warming, which, as we all know, is climate change. And I know right now any people who listen to this podcast and who don't know about the Paris Accord are going to be frustrated by our not super great summary of it, but the whole purpose of this episode is to talk about why Trump left. And that's something that we should establish very early on because the rhetoric that he used is very silly, but I want people to have an understanding of what the Paris Accord is before we go into that. The Paris Accord is not like the Kyoto Protocol. The Kyoto Protocol was an older attempt at something similar to this, but the Paris Agreement, part of the reason why the Paris Agreement is so beloved and so non-controversial 
is that it's a far weaker version of the Kyoto Protocol. It's a far weaker attempt at limiting global carbon emissions. It's, it's something that's probably originally intended to have been a beginning of something bigger than it ended up being. But this is a good thing, this sort of voluntary attempt to get people to realize that global climate change is something that affects all of mankind is something that's good. I think that this approach, and I know that there are lots of people who disagree with me. Obviously, the entire government of the country of Nicaragua agrees, disagrees with me, which is a big deal. But it is something important. This system is effective because this system showed all of mankind that there's something that we can agree on. As vastly different as our countries might be, as radically different as our worldviews are, we understand that the seas are rising and that global climate change is a real thing and a real issue that affects all of us. I think you hit in some, into something very important in here, which is the fact of that for the most part, everybody in the world but Americans know that this is a thing that is happening, that it's coming soon. Uh, if it, it hasn't actually started uh, fully being, you know, naturally implemented, for lack of a better language, and and so I, I would like you to to go into why so the rationale for the Trump administration for doing this because I would I would like to hear what you, you know, so what the Trump administration has said what you think about it but also uh, I would like to think about the larger context of American public opinion on this issue which there's a lot of polling and, and data uh, some of which that I have worked before uh, and that you know, I think can provide some context of why this is happening, particularly with uh, one of the major countries uh, that is one of the leading countries with you know producing emissions and that should be taking the lead on this. So since we're since that's the topic that we're going to be talking about next, I think it's important that we talk about the fact that. The United States is the only country that signed the accord and then is attempting to back out. And it's important that we talk about later on that that's kind of difficult to do in the first place. But right now, since we're going to be talking about the rhetoric that was actually used, <clears throat> what a lot of people have said is that Trump was talking about globalism and that he one of the big things is that he was elected to be the president, he was elected to represent the citizens of Pittsburgh, not Paris, which is a hilariously stupid statement for a variety of reasons, but most notably because as bad as Pittsburgh is, their mayor, their mayor talks about the fact that he agrees with the accords. So that's, that's hilarious to me, but it also goes to show something that I think a lot of people don't understand. I don't know if this is statistically true, but I have a feeling that the majority of the United States, as far as anyone can tell, 
believes that climate change on some level is happening. And I know that years back there were studies that disagreed with me on this, but do you know if the majority of this country understands that climate change is a thing that's happening right now statistically? So I think that that is the case. Uh, I would have to look into some, some more recent polling, but the public opinion is rather complicated because to some extent a majority of Americans believe that climate change is a thing. Democrats more likely than Republicans, and I think there's an important context in there that also has to do with why the mayor of Pittsburgh uh, is in favor of the courts and the president of the United States isn't, which is partisanship. But also there's another aspect, and it's that even if a majority of Americans believe that climate change is a thing that it's happening, a lot of Americans don't think it's an, it's an event or that it's going to affect this country. So it's a thing that it's happening to the rest of the world, but not something that it's going to happen in here, especially because they don't talk about it in Florida thanks to their uh, great governor. But that is one of the interesting things of American public opinion on this issue, which is that even, even the people who believe that it is a global issue don't think that you know somehow American exceptionalism also applies to climate change, and that somehow you know we have to protect our borders because if not, the seas are going to come for us instead of the rest of the world. So one of the next major rhetorical points that was in the speech that um, President Trump made when he was talking about leaving the deal, he claimed that this doesn't serve America's interests. This is a demonstrably false statement because, one, the climate serves America's interests on, on the most physical, blunt level. Green energy doesn't harm anyone. It doesn't inflict... It does, it, one, leading in green energy is the way of the future because we're not going to go back to we're not going to go back to fossil fuels. We're not going to be going and I know that there are going to be people who want us to and there're going to be businesses which are hurt by the fact that we're switching to green energy, but this is this is going back to Trump's favorite rhetorical point about the war on coal. The war on coal doesn't exist. And understanding that it doesn't exist is an extremely important and really basic thing to do, but it's something that I think Trump understands, personally. I think he's an intelligent individual. Lots of people are going to disagree with me on that. I think that he's being me. either malicious or serving, like, the lowest denominator of his voters. I don't know if you agree with me, though. Um, partially. I am not sure. I mean, I think it depends on how you define intelligence. I don't think Donald Trump is a politically savvy person. I think his, his savviness is in, and his success has come from a series of, uh, what is that series of books, a series of unfortunate events. <laughs> that is that, the book series you're thinking of, yes. 
Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, but I mean, so, so, so uh, you know, he may have intelligence on on some particular issues. I I don't think on political matters, at least on actual policy matters, implementing on government, he had absolutely zero intelligence and definitely no intention of learning. Uh, I do think he certainly has, uh, you know, has struck a nerve uh, in in certain parts of the population, and that that that's where his success lies, uh, you know, and, and also the weird electoral system that we have, uh, and the electoral college and the location of states, and and the fact that. You know, he ended up winning states that he wasn't supposed to win uh, because, well, these type of rhetoric, these sort of America first, uh, now basically America only discourse, uh, and he is railing against you know, all these globalist uh, enterprises, uh, basically. You know, resonated. But I may add uh, before before you jump in that you know Trump didn't start this, right? Before before Trump ran for office and unfortunately won, the the Republican Party and and to a large extent the the right of the right of the right, you know, were spreading all sorts of. Uh, conspiracy theories of the United Nations uh, and about even you know President Obama. I don't know if you recall a couple of years back when one of the normally conducted army exercises that were happening in Texas became a conspiracy that the United States government was taking over uh, the state. Operation Jade Home. Yeah, exactly, that I discovered because it was trending on Twitter. And uh, so, so yes, so, the, you know, so this didn't start with Trump, but he certainly speaks that language, and that's his intelligence, is the fact that he can speak that that same language that the right-wing uh, audience has been conditioned to, mostly because he's part of the audience, and the only difference he has with his audience is that he has money, and he has the resources to magnify his own voice. I think that was, I think that, I think that was a very important set of statements that we made. I'm going to go to something that I actually agree with Trump on because I think this is important, but I agree with him in a way that he doesn't intend for me to, in a way that he's going to dislike, but it makes sense. He says toward the end of the speech where he talks about his rationale for leaving the Paris Accord, he says explicitly, in other words, the Paris framework is a starting point, as bad as it is, not an end point. I agree with him. I disagree with him about it being bad, as you've mentioned before. 
but he is right about it being a starting point. And the Paris Accord, in my opinion, is a vision of the future, or at least it's a vision of the future that could theoretically exist if, if all things go well. The reason why I say this is that the Paris Accord glorifies and celebrates green energy. It's not the first document of its kind to glorify and celebrate green energy, but it is probably the most popular. It's probably the least controversial. And Trump, in a sense, is right when he calls it a starting point. It's a starting point for green energy. It's a starting point for electric cars, for renewable energy sources, and it's a starting point for a planet that celebrates its environment rather than attempting to destroy it. So, you know, I don't know if you know this phrase, that you know, a broken clock is right twice. So uh there you go there you go uh you know he uh i don't know man i don't know uh i i have this in front of me and it's it's a very interesting speech i think that in the future it might be interesting if we have an episode on trump's speeches just in general the things that he talks about, that would be a really neat topic for a podcast. But it's, well, it's worth it, reading. I have a term for for interpreting Trump and his translation. Uh, I like that. I've never heard that before, but I really like it. I, I, I made it up in a conversation with a co-worker, and, and he said I should patent that term. Uh, I don't know if it's patentable, but uh, yeah. So yeah, it's Trump slating. Uh, it's it's I think the act of trying to figure out what he's thinking and say when he's saying something. It is difficult to make sense of the things that he's talking about because even like I I can probably think of more than a few things if given the chance if given the chance and the time I could probably think of a few statements that Trump has said that without any context, I would probably agree with, but in a way that he doesn't like. And this is just one of them. But the reason why understanding Trump's rhetoric on this is really important is because Trump is no longer just a crazy person with a Twitter. He is the president of the most powerful, and in this case, the most devastating country. Because as you know, the United States is the top emitter and is one of the global superpowers that really needs to be in the Paris Accords. The United States leaving the Paris Accord is not like Syria or the Holy See or Nicaragua not being in it. All right. Well, as you guys know, we look forward to reading. We look forward to hearing your comments. We look forward to knowing what you guys think of this topic. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like it and share it and let your friends know about the Benito Juarez experience. Until then, see you later.